Sport Calgary is a volunteer-based, nonprofit society guided by a deep love of sport and a mission to help sport grow in Calgary. Howdy. How you holding up, kids? You doing okay? You all right? Time to check in. Everybody's okay? Glad you could be with us. Glad you're downloading. Glad you're listening. Uh, my name is uh, your ra- your podcast. I was going to say your radio friend. I used to be your radio friend. I guess I'm still your radio friend. Not really. I used to be your radio friend. Now I'm your podcast friend, Rob Kerr. Thanks for uh, taking the opportunity and going through the troubles of downloading said podcast or visiting sportcalgary.ca slash podcast to listen. Uh, I'm really excited about this. Boy, I'm excited about this. Um, I've interviewed him a bunch of times. I've done a lot of things with him in the community. I think the world, oh, full disclosure, a friend of mine. Should have said that. I guess you kind of guessed that, right? Full disclosure, friend of mine. He is a uh, uh, arguably one of the, the best college football players this, um, this country's ever produced. I would say he was well on his way to being one of the best ever CFL players that this country ever produced uh, before injuries played a role in that. Um, but he's also an Olympian. He is a two-sport superstar. As a matter of fact, he's a two-sport superstar who's married to another Olympic superstar. Pretty cool, actually. Although I don't know if we got too much into it. Um, this conversation's fun for, oh, who is it? <laughs> if you hadn't guessed, it's Jesse Lumsden. That's right, Jesse Lumsden. Yes, that Jesse Lumsden. Uh, he was on Man Tracker. Didn't talk about that. He's married to Helen Upperton. Really didn't talk about that. Uh, he's br- a broadcaster. Really didn't talk about that either. So you can see we've set the stage for a part two conversation down the road. Um, but this conversation is a lot of fun. I really enjoyed it, and I learned some stuff. And, and that, to me, is always the best conversation. Uh, so let's hold on. Before we get to it, I, I just need to tell you this. Sport Calgary acts as a resource for sports organizations with a ton of information available at www.sportcalgary.ca. Learn about community and coaching resources, research, jobs, and, of course, the latest in Calgary sport. Boys and girls, your friend and mine, let's talk to Jesse Lumsden. So I'm busy. That, that's a crazy thing. Like, I don't And by the way, I'm rolling tape, so we might just start. Um, but I, I keep watching all these people. Oh, I got to watch, you know, I watched all the Star Wars films and all the Lord of the Rings, or I binged this. I haven't had a chance to binge anything yet. Me neither. No? no nothing. Really? Oh, God, no. It's, well, a three-year-old at home, uh, okay. a four-month-old at home. Okay. Uh, and um, as you know, because we chatted about it, a, a tech startup company that's launching in June. It's, it takes us three nights to watch a movie. <laughs> that's, that's, okay well give us the update on the family first of all mom and and uh, and mom and the new one are good everybody's good yeah everybody's good everybody's healthy uh it's been you know, say that with uh you know even more uh thankfulness uh, during during this time uh it's just it's different everything's different so it's yeah. you know uh Grandma and Grandpa aren't coming over to to hang out with the kids, and uh, Florence isn't going to day her day home to see her friends, and uh, you know Helen is uh, holding down the fort uh, essentially with you know with this lovely spring weather that we have. <laughs> it makes it that much more difficult just because it's you're, you get a bit of, you get a bit of cabin fever. So, um, but she's doing a great job, and the family's good. So that's I got. There's no complaints. That's for sure. 
No, I mean, that's the nice thing is I suppose it could be, it, you know, believe it or not, it could be worse, I guess. Uh, you yeah. mentioned, uh, Je- Jesse, that you're starting a new, part of a new tech startup. Does that, is it, is it okay then that this is happening? Is this conducive because if it's technology, can you work from home? Is it restrictive at all? Uh, we work from home. Uh, it, it is, it's restrictive in the, in the sense that we, we go from an office of 80, 87, 88, 88 people now, uh, constantly communicating, rubbing shoulders to, uh, having, you know, Google hangouts, video calls twice a day, yep. uh, you know, company wide hangouts, uh, twice a month for updates. So just really trying to continue that, uh, team consistency and, face-to-face collaboration, um, the partnerships team that uh, I'm a part of, we have decided we're going to do a little bit of a, on Fridays, we're going to do a little happy hour. So no Neo talk, no business talk. And because one of those things as, as we're, as our team continues to grow and as everybody would know in the sports world, that camaraderie is important. And sometimes it's more about getting to know the person than it is about how they operate as, you know, as a, as a partner in the business. So it's uh, you know no business talk happy hour on Friday have a have a drink and have some laughs and just figuring it all out what what it what it looks like now. So is that a is that the Jesse Lumsden contribution? You know you mentioned sport yeah. and that's actually what I was going to ask you about because it it, it seems mean. like that that right? Well, not the happy hour part. I just <laughs> meant the teamwork part, <laughs> right? Getting together and being part of something. It's, uh, it's, you know, I, I love being a part of the team. It's, we have some other high performing athletes that are a part of the team. You know, mm-hmm. one of the co-founders of the company was a national team wrestler and an Olympic alternate and was the co-founder of, of Skip the Dish, Dishes. So a uh, high performer, not only in sport, but in business. And, uh, I think one thing that resonates well is the mindset. So there's lots of discussions that are around how great teams functions, how great organizations functions, how you handle, uh, you know, what does your culture look like? Uh, what do you want it to look like? How do you uh, create it in a way that's going to not only be positive, but also uh, push people to their limits and and not become weaponized in, in, in ways that people are stepping outside of the, you know, the, the ethical boundaries. When you get a team of 80, 100, 200, 300,000 people, yeah. people interpret things in a certain way. So it's, you know, uh, you know, Uber is a perfect example. They had this crazy culture, but the culture left room for people to go outside of what we would normally call what was the more your moral compass mm-hmm. to get the job done because they said, you know, do what you need to do to get the job done. And, you know, most people will take that as like, yeah, I'm going to work hard. I'm going to do this. But, you know, when people see it as an opportunity to incorporate illegal activities it can be a very very dangerous thing and that's when the culture becomes you know gets weaponized for the for the wrong reason so having those athletes ingrained in high performance and really driving that culture has really been an interesting part of being a part of this group is, is it a, a cliche and, and what i'm going to talk about is something i just said to somebody else when i was doing a podcast i think i've said it on every single podcast but what we have learned in the last month to six weeks to me is we've separated managers from leaders and sport still continues to be the most fertile ground to develop leadership. Do you see that? Do you see, you know, a difference in, in what we're going through right now between managers and leaders? I th- yes. I think, uh, you know, leaders, you know, sport in the military, right? That's where you're going to get. Uh, right. And, and there's other 
areas as well. But I, that's where my mindset goes to immediately is the military and, and, and sport because you have, uh, you're constantly, your circumstances are constantly changing. So you need to constantly be thinking about how to, uh, you obviously are proactively pursuing, uh, you know, a goal or a vision, but you have to be reactive and reactive, not with panic, but with poise and cool headedness and, uh, composure and intelligence that is going to not allow you the, the team or whatever to deviate, deviate too far off the path. You're not going to create chaos in any situation possible. Good leaders do a good job of, you know, writing the ship. It'll come off course a little bit, but how you navigate it back on the course is it's, it's because of the leadership and it's because of the people involved with that organization. Katrina LeMay-Doan once told me that I referred to her as a former Olympian and she stopped me and corrected me. There's no sure. such thing as a former Olympian. You're always an Olympian for life. Are you a retired athlete? Are you trying to get me to announce like an No, official? I'm not. I'm not. I just, you can. I mean, we can break news. We've done it before with George Canyon's podcast, but yeah. um, no, no, I just, and then that mindset. Um, the competitiveness will never leave me. Okay. Uh, you know, I'm not competing anymore. Uh, I just kind of, like I said, I was going to do, I, you know, I just, I'm done after this year and that's it. Mm-hmm. You're not going to see me again. So. And that's not, and that is held true to that. So I'm trying to channel that competitiveness in a different way, and utilize some of the skill sets that that I've developed as an athlete in a different way now, and uh, find the right environment that I can that I can put that to. So what's game day? That's a great question. Yeah, that's. Um, I mean, right now, it feels a little bit like game day in training camp. Mm-hmm. So a lot of volume, a lot of intensity, a lot of focus, um, and, and I'm, I'm building some calluses, which is which is really good. <laughs> uh, you know, it's funny having spoken with Jeff a lot leading up to me joining this team. Um, you know, he, he talks about his time at Skip the Dishes, and as a co-founder and, and essentially growing that thing to you know what it was a billion dollar company and uh, the situations that he that they came through and he's like, we're in the easy, we're going through some bumps and valleys right now, but wait till we get to launch. Then you're going to see some stuff. So I think when we launched, that's, that's when the start of the season, that's game day. Yeah. That's game day. Yeah. It, it's just to me, you know, fascinating to see through your eyes, the, the way, cause you've always been in highly competitive sports. All sports are competitive, but the two that you chose to be in, are among the most competitive. Would you not agree? Yeah, they're up there for sure. So yeah. how do you how do you scratch that itch, or or do you have to say goodbye to that? And that and I think you answered it. I think you said you know you're in training camp right now. Yeah, but just, there's still something like it's never gonna be as good as sport. Mm-hmm. I mean, you, the first thing you learn to do as a kid is play. Right. It's not to have a schedule and to to you know to work and to it's to play. So to, to make that a career is the best thing you can possibly do if you enjoy doing it. Right. Um, so there's always going to be that competitive itch. I think there's other areas in my life where that allows me to dial that in as well. So, um, which has been good. You know, I'm, I'm not doing a ton of training or working out right now, but I try to do something every day. Yeah. And that helps. Uh, shooting my bow archery helps a lot because it's a, it's a, a tremendous amount of focus. Um, you know, it's so there's things like that that are definitely uh, they curb the appetite to wanting to go and just 
to bobsled or jump onto a football field. Yeah. Yeah. Was, yeah. So that's, those are, I can, I'll never play touch football. Let's put it that way. That's too much. That's just not enough, right? Well, it's not enough and, it, and, it, and it'll be too much. And I, and I don't want to, if I go do that, I want to go enjoy it. And I won't because I'll bring too much. Yep. It'll be, it's just too close to home. Hockey is a different story. I love playing hockey. Right. It's a great workout. And, you know, I played at a pretty high level as a kid, but I never was as intense with hockey as I was with football. Why? Passion. Okay. Okay. I think it really just comes down to passion. Yeah. I, I was, you know, chatting with my dad and stuff. It's like that I was ready to go train for football or go to do drills, but I, you know, I reluctantly went out and shot pucks. Mm-hmm. Okay. You know, I did it because, you know, your parents say, if you want to get better at something, this is what you do. And I was like, oh, okay, fine. I'll go shoot a hundred pucks. But you look at that versus like it, like Connor McNavid, I'm sure he, you couldn't pull him away from shooting pucks or working on, on, on his skill sets. And it was similar for me with football. I had a ball in my hand at home. I was watching, you know, NFL, CFL football all the time. So that's, it was just the, it was the passion side of it that I really think, um, fueled a lot of that fire. But if your dad wasn't a professional football player, if your dad was an NHL player, do you think that would have been reversed? Yeah. It's something Helen and I have talked about. Um, and I'm not sure because they're both team sports. Yeah. And, you know, obviously when you have a, a parent that played at a very high level, it's, they become, um, you know, a figure that you want to follow in the footsteps of. Yeah. So he never, the one thing that I can say that they did very well is they never pushed me. They actually pulled me out of football when I was, you know, I, my dad coached, actually funny enough, my dad, Jesse Palmer back in the day when we had lived in Ottawa with the Myers Riders and it was the mosquito team. So it was like 10 and 11 year olds and I was seven. Yeah. So I couldn't play, but I practiced with them. Yeah. And then the next year they opened up a tyke division for eight year olds. So then I played. Right. Um, and then my parents pulled me out and they said, you're going to play other sports. And then if you want to play football in high school, that's when you can play football. So, um, it was myself that took myself back there. I mean, first day of high school, I was, I was there on the, on the football field ready for practice. And, um, but it was never pushed upon me. I would say hockey was more pushed upon me than football was. Hmm. That's interesting. That yeah. that's interesting. Now, just for clarification, your dad, Neil, did you, you never saw him play, right? You would have been too young. I, well, no, I, I would have seen him play, but I was like a half pint. Yeah. So yeah, I remember being in the Eskimo locker room as a kid. Right. And I remember, you know, running around and, and, and giving Dwayne Mandrusiak, the equipment, you know, head equipment trainer there, just a, a headache. And when I went back in 2009 and he was still there, I gave him a headache then too. <laughs> but it, uh, I never, I don't remember watching him play. Hmm. Was, there is flashbacks for sure. How much of it, we've kind of skirted it, but how much of an impact was he on you? Um, because that he played in it's such a great dynasty level era of, of that football team, right? How much of that was, you know, brought to you oh if it, it was there if i needed it interesting way to put it interest explain that uh, it's it was never uh um 
he trained me a little bit and he did his research like before I went to university. Uh, we were doing workouts with a couple other guys from Nelson High School. And uh, um, he, you know, studied, he started to really dive into the track and field world. And, you know, never being a really, like he was a track guy, but never really a track guy. Yeah. He took the learnings from um, some coaches and some, and some texts from like Michigan State and Syracuse and some uh, Texas uh, track programs and tried to, uh, you know, put me through some of that stuff. And then actually my girlfriend at the time who played soccer at a pretty high level, she started training with us. And then a couple other teammates joined us. So we were doing like track and field speed training, you know, in this would have been in 1999, essentially. Um, but again, it was always, um, it was up to me. If I wasn't ready to go, he wasn't putting his shoes on to go out to the track that day. He was never, okay, let's go, you know, sort of thing. When we were there, he'd push us and coach us, and which was great. Um, if it was ever, you know, I had questions about film, questions about uh, me. Obviously, he, he helped me a lot with media, too, just how to handle Oh, that I don't doubt for a second. Because for those who don't know, Neil Umsden was true. He was Craig Conroy before Craig Conroy. He was awesome to deal yeah. with. Fun, and funny enough, I on Instagram, I posted a picture of him with uh, John Wells and, and uh, uh, Shannon. John Shannon? John, John Shannon. Yeah. And uh, from CBC. And then somebody flipped me, me, my dad commentating the 1988 uh, CFL All-Star Game, which happened at the beginning of the season. I, I, I remember this, Jesse. I remember that. Like, there's a lot of people that are hearing, what do you mean a CFL All-Star Game? Yes. Yeah. yeah it's amazing, isn't it? On the CFL Network. Yeah. So it was video of him and, like, on the sidelines, and then he would run up and do the color commentary. And then what I got even more of a kick out of it was uh, he was doing, like, the halftime interviews in the locker room, and he was, and he was interviewing Greg Marshall. Um, <laughs> defense, defense of Greg Marshall. Yeah. I was around and stuff like that. So it was, it was a very cool trip to go down a bit of memory lane. And then I showed Helen, my wife, yep. and she was just like, oh, my God, it's you. Like, you guys have the same inflection, same mannerisms. Um, so I thought that was pretty funny. But, yeah, definitely it was a, a big help with the, the media side thing as well. Yeah, I I wouldn't disagree with that. I, I wouldn't disagree with that. I, I only interviewed your dad a couple of times. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, um, yeah, I... You're not exactly the same guy, but same right. disposition, same, you know, just really nice people that you want to be around, right? The type of people that help sell the sport and that type of thing. So, yeah, I definitely could see that. It was pretty funny. Anyway, so, yeah, that was, never pushed. Um, always there if I needed it, just like, you know, a good mentor or um, a really trustworthy, you know, book on the shelf that you can always go back to. Was he a storyteller for you? Did, did he tell you stories of teammates and games and things like that? Did you get the history from him? Uh, yes, in his way. Um, you know, definitely lots of laughs and lots of good stories and stories would, would come up. And I think, you know, they would come up because of something happening. Mm -hmm. uh, so, we'd, you know, Dan Kepley, we see Dan and Uncle Cap to me. It's then we hear certain Dan Kepley stories or Warren Moon, or, or Tom Wilkinson, or, you know, games, and, and you know, those sorts of situations. So it was very situational. Yeah. Um, were you prepared, since we're down the football rabbit hole, I love this podcast because I never know where I'm going, and now we're down the football podcast, or football rabbit hole, so that's where we'll go. Um, 
were you prepared? You win the Heck Crichton in 2004. You were the kind of the it guy in, at that time, would have been CIS football. Were you prepared for, you mentioned Jesse Palmer. It's always the Canadian, right? The Canadian that goes south of the border. You got a, a couple of opportunities down there. Were you prepared for the weight that, that came with that? No, uh, I wasn't. And Could anything have prepared you for that? No, no. There was nothing that was going to prepare me for that. I mean, I came from a, a good institution in Canada that provided me with great opportunities and great teammates and great coaching. Um, but going down to Seattle, I got a small taste of it at the East West Shrine Bowl. Okay. Of just the magnitude of how big it was. Yep. And how much more there is to it from a coach, from coaches to just people around and like the swag and the, the volume and just the, the, the abundance of it all. And uh, when I went down to Seattle, um, I actually felt, you know, in a few instances, I was very green going into Seattle. I wasn't necessarily prepared. I thought I was, and I prepared as best as I could, but mm-hmm. you don't know what you don't know. And um, one thing that bothered me a bit was the attention that I was getting from, like, Vancouver media. And, you know, I'd be, as a free agent, undrafted, um, you know, having a scrum beside Matt Hasselback. Yep. Like, that That shouldn't that shouldn't be happening. Um, and it made me feel a little bit uncomfortable. But, yep. you know, I still did what I, I still worked my butt off. And yep. uh, I learned quickly afterwards, and I could look back at it, and I was like, yeah, I was a long shot camp body. I was there to take reps and to fill spot. And, um, so I was actually talking about this yesterday, you know, licking my wounds a little bit after I got cut, went to Vancouver, stayed with, uh, one of my old teammates, Mike Saramba. He gave me a good kick in the butt saying that Hamilton's waiting for you to get back, get to work, get back playing football, do what you do. And that was, that was, that was extremely helpful for me. Um, because then I got back to playing football again and just playing football and not worrying about anything else. And I was able to, uh, then going into Washington, I was prepared as a football player and as, and as a, and as a, like, and as a, as weird as this sounds, as a, as a man, I was, yeah. I knew I, I knew I belonged. I knew I could play. I knew I could handle anything that they threw at me. I knew I was good enough to be there if, you know, so it's, it would, it was definitely a shift in mindset more than anything else. It was a growing up opportunity. I, I've always you're the first athlete I've ever been able to have this conversation with because I always wondered what it was like. I remember being on the air in 960 in 2004 and and giving Jesse Lumsden updates like he's down there, folks. He's in Seattle, and you know we're all kind of sitting there with our finger. There's there was something always again pomp. There was always one or two every couple of years. Uh, Blair, I believe Donnie Blair when he went down there. There was always you know there just was this. We have this love of the CFL, but we just wanted one of our guys to go down there. And, and I've always wondered what that felt like. And, and you mentioned it's a great story about Vancouver. Like, yeah, you just want to go and do your job. Give me a couple of years. Let me establish myself. Then I'll do the big scrums next to Hasselback, right? Yeah, and it's just – but, it, you know, I was coming from a um, – you know, as Kramer says on Seinfeld, you know, you're a minor celebrity creating a minor stir. <laughs> and I just wanted to play – I just wanted to play football. Um it's nice to see now that, you know, more and more Canadians are going down and they're making an impact and, and, yeah. and holding a position and, and doing great things. And I think that's, uh, you know, it's, it just, it's testament to the talent that we have in this country. 
now that some eyes are being, you know, look at North, which is great. Um, and you got to have somebody in your corner. So if you have a couple people in your corner and you go down there and you're getting some looks and you look and you're being looked at on an equal level playing field, yeah, which is which is uh, super important for the for the player. What was what was Hamilton like for you? You were s- so good there. I know it wasn't as long as everybody would have liked, but yeah. man, uh, and and the reason I say that, Jesse, I, I don't know if I've ever shared this with you, but. What was cool about you was the rest of the league was paying attention. We do interviews with Stampeder players, and hey, you know, what are you watching? Geez, we got to watch Hamilton because I want to see what Lumsden's doing. There was a lot of that going on at that time. I had never heard that before. So, um, Chev- so you know, Chevy and, and Sheldon Napastic had the show on the radio station for a couple of years, and yeah. Sheldon would come on and talk about we got to watch Hamilton because I want to see what Jesse's going to do. That's, yeah. I mean, that's a compliment. And I never really knew that. Um, yeah, it's, you know, there's always, uh, there's a couple f- memories that I will remember very, very well. Um, Tom Higgins in, in the media uh, speaking about me coming back to play in hours, coming after my, no, I think it was going into my first year, but saying, you know, just some nice words. Yep. I don't even need to repeat them or whatever. But, yep. And then Henry Burke's coming up to me after my very first game, second game, because it was in Calgary. And, uh, it was not a, a breakout game, but it was, you know, I had a pretty good, pretty good, I think I actually only played like the third and fourth quarter, but I had some pretty good numbers and had a touchdown. We lost, but he just was very Henry Burris, Hank like, and came up and said, welcome, congrats. Looking forward to seeing how you do, you, you know, great game. This is going to be a lot of fun. And then, uh, in his Hank way. And, you know, those are two things that, that definitely, um, I'll remember for a long time for sure. What are your football highlights? From your from your CFL time, what, what what are the games that stand out for you? Um, well, the unfortunate, well, there's a couple. It makes it easy for me to pick up the highlight games because we lost so many. <laughs> yeah, well, that well, that wasn't your fault, but yeah, yeah. But so in in the four years that I was in Hamilton, we never even were close to 500 in a season. Yeah. Um, so it made the highlights pretty special. Uh, you know, unfortunately, there's a lot of lowlights that overshadowed the the, the, the highlights sure. for you know for a lot of reasons. But um, one of the biggest highlights was playing, uh, getting to play again. Like my first game back playing after the Edmonton fiasco, after the Olympics, joining the Calgary Stampeders practice roster. Yeah working my way out of a practice roster position to play special teams and then get some reps at running back and scoring a touchdown. Um, that was a long climb back just to, and there's a picture, somebody, uh, I think it was, oh, it was, I think it was during the game. It was on the commentary. I got it. I tripped on the goal line and stumbled in the end zone. I'm just sitting on my knees with it. I smile on my face that I, you know, it's tough to even replicate and, 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 it was the boys in the booth were just like, you know, you, you can tell just how happy he is just to be playing football again. Yep. That's all I wanted to do. I just wanted to play football. Um, so, you know, unfortunately, that was my last season. But that was that will always be pretty special to me. And then um, there was a couple of pretty cool games in Hamilton where we not only won, but we had some had some had some we did some damage. And, um, you know, I think it was my 2007 season. Marwan Hage, the center, uh, who is will no doubtably be an all-star, or I mean a Hall of Famer. Hall of Famer, Hall of Famer. Yeah. Um, 
he was tracking early on. This was like five games into the season, and we were tracking towards a 2,000-yard rushing season. And he's coming up to me. He's like, do you know how many – you know where I had – I've never done that. And like <laughs> one game – and like two games later, you know, I, I had uh, dislocated my shoulder. And then two games later after that, it was – I did it in, in a number of times again. So it was just the season was over again. But, um, yeah, there was definitely some – we were making some waves and, and we had, you know, a little wave and a bigger wave and then it would flatten off again. But, uh, yeah, it wasn't all bad. That's for sure. A lot of great people, a lot of, a lot of fun memories. Will you, you, will you share a story? I've heard you tell once or twice about a teammate you had in Edmonton and the extent that he went to make it difficult to play against him. Well, that's no, I was Hamilton. Was that Hamilton? I'm sorry. I thought that was an Eskimo story. I apologize. But you had a particular teammate who made it very difficult to play against him. Correct? Was it? Are you talking about Adriano Belli? No. No, 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 no. We were, uh, you and I and Matt Stajan and, and, uh, and Brian McGratton were telling stories at Winsport one day. And you told a story about a team. i positive Jesse was Edmonton. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I won't say his name. No, 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 no. I wouldn't ask you to. But just... This is a, what this story is stuck with me forever. Yeah. He uh Yeah, really interesting guy and smart, talented and had some definitely some interesting quirks about him, but he he would he would piss his pants. Game, every game purposely before the game just to make it that much more uncomfortable for whoever he tackled. Like it's football is a stressful. <laughs> it's there are some characters, aren't there? Oh God! And I thought I thought you were talking about Adriano Belli because he makes it very, very, very uncomfortable to play against as well. Okay. Um, and he will do some. Well, he's was he the kissing bandit? Kissing bandit. Yeah, yeah he was. Okay. Yeah. So he, uh, I mean, he's just a, he. I mean, he makes not to playing against not only playing against he, like he's a good friend and I love the guy that, <laughs> but he makes it uncomfortable to play with him. <laughs> <laughs> So, all oh, the things like when he we had played with him in my first two years, then he went back to the Argos, and he would just constantly mess with you, and constantly talk and the stuff he would say is like, oh, the stuff I'm going to do to your quarterback when I'm on top of him and you know, when I tackle him, and all oh, and, and and you're playing you're you're playing a physical sport and you can't help but like laugh a little bit. You know, <laughs> What is wrong with you? Man? <laughs> like he'd tackle me, and then all of a sudden, I, I, or he'd be on a pile, and then all of a sudden, I'd feel a hand come up underneath <laughs> my kid, just tickling my nose and sticking fingers in my ear. Oh, do you miss yeah. that? Oh yeah, it's like that was. <laughs> Like some of the guys, like yeah, I look back and I was very lucky to play with guys like Mike Morielli and Rob Hitchcock and yeah. Danny McManus and Adriano Belli and Marwan Hage and it's you know um, so many uh, Jason Moss and like Ricky yeah it's just Ricky like so many good people yeah like good people good football players but good people yeah and that uh, I mean that's uh, one of those guys I can't even remember who it was said to me um it was at the end of the day i never ever i never remembered the score but i always remembered who i played with 
And it was like just a testament to the guys he played with. Isn't that a crazy thing about sport, though? Right? Like it, it bothers me that we we spend so much time with youth and and high performance and early specialization and getting to that. And we got to get a scholarship. We got to get to the pros and everything. And I, I think we sometimes lose sight of what the true value and, and you know why why sport matters. Right? Like. You win a championship. Nobody ever talks about the second the clock went off and we were the champions. They always talk about the journey, everything that happened along it. And and yep. again, kind enough you to bring that up. I I think it just it talks about the strength of sport. It's the it's the camaraderie. It's the dressing room, right? Totally. And it's and it's the bond you make. And it's the you know the how you're able to bond with somebody in those sorts of circumstances is very hard to replicate outside of sport. Right. Because you're working hard together, you're get you know you're punishing yourselves together. You're winning together, you're losing together. You know it's literally it's your 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 friendship and bond is forged through blood, sweat, and tears. Mm-hmm. And it's tough to uh, tough to replicate that. He's Jesse Lums, and he's our guest here on the Original Six Feet Conversation. I want the latest Sport Calgary updates in one place. Sign up for Sport Calgary's newsletter, and the latest monthly updates will be sent straight to your inbox. Sign up at sportcalgary.ca. Are you a Bob Slayer or a Bob Sledder? Whatever you want. Really? Yeah. I don't care. Yeah, you don't? No? No? Bob Slayer has like some sort of medieval sort of, you know, grim re- uh, executioner feel to it. Yeah. Uh, Bob Slayer is more what everybody says. So uh, grammatically, I think Bob Slayer is correct. Is it the sport of Bob Slay? Yeah. But, but what were Bob Sledders? Well, one's Canadian, right? Are we? If we're Canadian, we're Bob Sledders, right? Bob Slay. Bob Slay is Canadian in the rest of the world, and then, of course, Bob Sled is American. Is that right? American? Okay, because I had Messler on a couple weeks ago, and he totally messed up my mind. I can't remember. Like, he completely freaked me out about it. Um, yeah. What What did you like about it? What did, what did you, so, you're a professional football player. Not only that, you're a running back, so you get the ball. You get to run the ball. The offense comes through you in Hamilton. Now, you're in a two-man and a four-man sled. What itch does this scratch for Jesse Lumsden? Representing Canada. Oh, okay. Like that was a big one. I remember when I won the the BLG uh, award in two thousand and whatever four five four. Um, the everybody I was up against uh, was amateur athletes that were going to go play for Canada, and yeah. I was the one thing. And I said it in my speech. I was like, I'm I'm envious that I'll never really get to represent my country in sport in yep. football. Yep. Um, so that was a big. I was always a, an Olympic junkie. Um, you know, some of the big highlights I can remember where I was and what I was doing. And, um, it's, and I was, and it was really, again, comes back to, you know, my dad, it was in, I was in my dad's, in my mom's kitchen. I was going into free agency. Uh, I got the call from Matt Hindle, who is the high performance director and recruiter who was very good at what he did. Mm-hmm. And they had some, they were they bringing some athletes out the year before the Olympics to see if there was, the one thing nice about bobsleigh and football is the physicality of it is very, very close together. Power and speed, power and speed. Yep. Um, it's a very, very steep learning curve to be good at what you do as a crewman. Um, and I can chat about that a little later, but it's my dad was the one I was, you know, rehabbing and getting stronger and getting ready to go to Edmonton. And, and it was my dad that said, get away from football for two weeks and go train with some amazing athletes in another sport that you've never done before. You're going to learn something you get out of, you know, here, just go, what do you have to lose? Right. 
And so, yeah, I fell in love with it pretty quickly because I not only fell in love with the idea of representing Canada, but the sport was just so different. And, you know, uh, there's two schools of thought. It's like you have a passion about something or you become passionate about something because you're good at it. Yeah. And, um, you know, there's parts of it that I was passionate about and there was the passion that was building inside of me because I was picking the technical aspects of it pretty quickly. And it was becoming more and more of a reality that I might be able to race, not at the Olympics in 2010, but just race at a World Cup, at some North America's Cup. And that's, and then, you know, then you learn that Herschel Walker did it and like some other athletes. And then this cross training promotion, part of it came into mind. And, um, and then you get to meet some of the people and you really like the people. And uh, it just kept building and building. And then getting the opportunity to meet Pierre Luders, who from a, you know, him and I are aligned mentally. You know, when we look at competition, very, very similar. Yep. Um, we want to win. We're yep. here to win. Yep. Um, so we got along very well, and he's the perfect mentor to have because um, he saw the fire in me to whatever I was doing. It was to, 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 to get better at it and to, to be better. And, uh, and, I think he, and I think that resonated with him. Two things that come out of that answer, and I definitely want you to tell me about being learning to be a crewman. But recruitment, how, how did the recruitment process compare to being recruited as a football player? Well, it's I mean, there's definitely a it's much more straight line in football because it's it's okay. built on legacy, right? Yep. You go from high school or junior to university or junior to right. Bobsleigh is um, it's a second it's a secondary sport. You know, it's a second uh, opportunity. You don't grow up wanting to be a bobsledder. You 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 find a bobsledder, bobsleigh finds you later on in life because yep. you need to be a mature athlete to do it. You can't do it. You know, there's there's a couple 16 year olds out there that are kids of parents that ran the track that you know are the sort of outlier to sure. everybody else. But everybody else is a multi event athlete, a basketball player, a football player, a volleyball player. A bobsleigh finds them. So from that standpoint, the recruiting, um, you got to cast a pretty wide net. Uh, you know, one, you have to find somebody who wants to do it yeah. and, and, and almost convince them to want them to try it and then getting them to possibly putting their life on hold if they're coming out of university to go and pay and live, you know, you know, a, a very sort of reasonable, moderately, you know, an exciting life, but in, in a way that's, you know, you're not going to make very much money and you're right. not going to really work towards actually your next career. So yeah. there's things that you can leverage and we can talk sure. about that. And I think I've done a pretty good job and so there's athletes who do a really good job with that. But, um, so you have to cast a wide net. And I remember when I was playing at Mac, uh, a few of us would get letters, you know, typed letters in our locker. And it was bobsleigh, and most of us then were just like, ah, whatever, ah, whatever, ah, whatever. Oh, I never knew that. So you had already had been contacted? Contacted, like yeah, a, a letter, and you, yeah. So, but it's not letter. like you came to Calgary, played a game or two for the Stampeders, and they and COP happened to be up the road. So you, th there yeah. was a longer connect, far longer connection. So yeah, when I got a call when I was in Burlington, they, Matt Hindle found a way to get my phone number, and it was probably through McMaster. Okay, he called me, and it was the kitchen landline, and. We talked about it. Um, so, you know, 
the one thing he does very well is he, he always tracks, you know, the university athletics, whether it's track and field or rugby and football. Sure. He's like, okay, who are the running backs, linebackers, yada, 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 yada. And from then, you know, for, if you look at it, if I were to be, if I were to recruit for Bobsleigh Canada or if I were to run the recruiting program, um, I would have uh, a representative at uh, every university every year, like on a road trip, mm-hmm. just somebody that has an eye and can evaluate somebody on a field or somebody on a track. Yep. I'd have a representative at every uh, combine, regional combine and national combine. And I'm sure the CFL, I know Rugby Canada has done it in the past. I'm sure the CFL would love to partner with Bobsleigh Canada to have a representative there because not everybody who goes to the combine not only gets draft, drafted or makes it. And Bobsleigh, like, because of that transition, is a great opportunity to continue to pursue that uh, and to fuel, you know, to feed that competitiveness that a lot of athletes have, especially in football. Uh, so you got to, you know, cast a wide net, and then you can be targeted, and you can go after blue chips. And that's in '09. I was part of a blue chip camp, so it was myself, okay. Brad Rempel, um, Nathan Cross, who is a multi eventer and also a former bobsledder who was thinking about coming out of retirement. Uh, and Neville Wright, who is a national team uh, sprinter. Yep. So we were that blue chip camp, and it was really uh, two weeks in Calgary learning about the sport, yada, yada, yada. So t- let's talk about, okay, so now they've identified you, they've recruited you, you're there. What? How do you teach someone? How does, how does the learning curve happen for you? Do they just put you in and, and let you go down the hill the first time and figure it out, or is it in class? How does it work? A little bit of both. So when we went to the when we came to that camp, uh, you know, first thing we learned about was the sled, and crewmen do a lot of work on the sled. So learning how to flip a sled, uh, changing the runners, learning some of the you know just the mechanics of how a sled works because yep. you have to work on this stuff, and then the technique of pushing, and that's where the majority of the, our the camp's focus was was pushing technique, and that was in the the ice house facility in Calgary at COP which is really, you know, a huge, huge asset to, to Canadian sliding sports to have that. Um, and then from that point on, you know, I come back. So let me think about this. February. So, yeah, I, I do my training camp, come back, go into free agency, sign with Edmonton. And then I go to Whistler because during our training camp, they were finishing up world championships in Lake Placid that year. But with the Olympics coming up the next year, they had booked another two weeks of sliding and Whistler to continue to get reps. And that's where they were going to have their Canadian championships. And they brought all the new guys out. Mm. And, uh, yeah, they're really the first time going down the sled or going down the track was like, okay, you've done this in the ice house. Now go do it on the hill and just make sure you pull the brakes at the end. <laughs> so, yeah. And you did obviously, or we wouldn't be yeah. having this conversation. No, oh, yeah. It's, but it's, de- it's, it's interesting. I mean, being at the top of the hill is very different than being at the top of the hill in the in the ice house for the first time. So, right. you you pardon my ignorance on this. Would you have ever seen any of your trips down the hill, or were you head down and kind of in in darkness? No, after the 2010 Olympics, I myself and Justin Cripps, who yep. I crew with in Vancouver, uh, said we were both going to do driving school, and so we started doing pilot. We went to after after the Olympics, let me think about 
this? February, we went to Lake Placid to do a driving school. And then I signed with, uh, and then did some more driving in that spring. And then years later that year and finished the season with them. And then at that time, there was actually a point in time where I was uh, practicing. And one of the big reasons why I signed with the Stampeders is because I was going to continue bobsledding. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, to, to not to go too far off track, when free agents, when the team started calling me as I was a free agent in that season, it was first Winnipeg. Uh, and it was funny, I got the call and I was, the day before I was doing Man Tracker. So then I had to turn my phone off. Got all about that adventure too. (laughs) I had to turn my phone off for two days. Okay. And after the two days, I turned my phone back on. Yeah. And Winnipeg is wondering where the hell I am. And now Toronto has left a voicemail and Calgary has left a voicemail. So Winnipeg was like, yeah, we want you to come out. We want you to play. Toronto was like, we need you this weekend. And Calgary was like, yeah, we'd like to have you, but we want you on the practice roster. That's where, that's where we have a spot for you right now. And I made the decision to go to Calgary and be on the practice roster because I knew I was going to keep sliding. So I went to Calgary. I was doing the practice roster. Uh, I did that for three weeks, I think, maybe a month. And I was at uh, McMahon Stadium in the morning from 6.30 till 3. And I'd go home to my apartment. I'd make uh, you know a snack and a meal, and I'd be at COP from 5 till 10 p.m. for probably – Two months. Wow, wow! Yeah. You must have been the only and only NF or uh, CFL player ever to turn down a roster spot for a practice roster spot. That's I co- huh? I don't know. Maybe I'm not sure. Has to be. Well, for the intent and purposes of this podcast, you are. Um, okay. <laughs> fast forward. Tell me about representing your country, because that's the goal, right? You've already said that. That's why you wanted to be there. I mean, and your first Olympics is in your country. Right? Yeah. Oh man. Yeah. Man, I wish I was involved with the sport longer prior to going to the Olympics. Yeah. Because now that I've done three in, in three different countries, Vancouver was out of control. <laughs> like it was so, so special. Not only just for like the athletes, but just for everybody. Yeah. And, and I and I I mean I started I I essentially joined the bobsleigh team. 10 months before the Olympics. So all my teammates, my wife included, had been, you know, my wife had come off of a fourth place finish in Torino. All she thought about was Vancouver for four years. Right. Um, so, you know, and I came in kind of, not naive to the fact, but definitely just like, oh, look at this. This is pretty cool. And people were like, you idiot. <laughs> just like, like the pinnacle, right? Um, but it was, yeah, it was, and I always joke, it's like the first time walking into opening ceremonies, first time walking into BC Place without getting booed. It was pretty cool. <laughs> well, there's an old line in the media, right? Like, you never want to cover the briar in your own hometown. You always want to cover the ones on the road. But what about, is it, does that apply to Olympics? Like, you know, is it better to be on the road? Because that was, as you mentioned, that's a home, that's a hometown Olympic. Uh, I think... It's better to be on the road for a couple reasons. Um, focus, uh, less distractions for sure. Um, I would say, you know, that might be the only reason. The hometown Olympics is so special. 
through see an entire country rally around an event and yeah. just yeah. like it's it's it to compete at a hometown games um i you know i was yeah 2026 came to calgary you know i, I might have taken a, a run at it i would have been 44 but hmm. hundred things that happened um sure. but it uh i would yeah that I, I i wish i could have flipped for sure and finished finished on home home olympics um are you done with 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 bobsled is there some role for you or or is there something you're going to continue to do not right now uh no not a place for me i don't uh, i'm too close to some of the athletes still yep um i get it i'm involved i'm involved with the coc athletics commit athletes commission which has been good uh because it's kept me close to sport but at some point i would like to be able to get back into the sport um, I'd be, I'd love to be able to work with Pierre, uh, again, uh, you know, he's really made a mark for himself as a coach now too. Um, it's, it's a shame that Canada has never been able to figure out a way to, to get him back into the program. Um, but it's, uh, right now the, the program has a, has a good head coach, mm-hmm. uh, with Todd Hayes and, the one thing that's concerning about the program right now is lack of depth. So if Justin, if Justin leaves, um, that's it. Yeah. There's no, there's no succession plan right now. Um, so it's, I think there's going to be, a, it's going to be, you know, with Justin doing what he's doing and he's got great support and he's obviously the best in the world at what he does. And he has got a, a good team around him uh, going into the the next the next cycle or if coming to the end of the, the next cycle uh the, but they even even then they need they need to uh, step their game up and figure out and get and get some more work done because they're not where they need to be if they want to if they want to be on top of the podium in both two and four minutes what is that just a just a function of cycle or is there you know it's because there's no because there's never really been a lot of consistency mm-hmm uh, it's tough to tell. You always see a dip in uh, performance um, after an Olympics, but you also see an influx in recruitment because it's fresh in everybody's mind. Yeah, everybody's sure. like, oh, I want to come do it. Yep. Uh, then you have to sift through all of that, you know, those, those the, the top of the funnel and see what comes out on the other end. Um, but it's definitely, it's going to be, it's a tough road. I mean, in any amateur organization other than Hockey Canada, it's constantly fundraising, constantly, you know, monitoring your uh, cash, uh, oh, your yeah. burdens, um, trying to recruit with a skeleton crew, trying to develop and manage a team. And there's a lot that I, I don't envy the people in that position by any means. And I don't think it's easy what's going on. Yep. Um, but it's definitely going to be a tough road for the next few years, for sure. Two more for you, Jesse. Um, what are, are there characters in 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 bobsleigh like there were in football? Were there villains and black hats? And you know, was there? It, it, does the sport allow for that? Uh, I don't think you have. Oh, there's villains for sure. Yeah, I mean, just. Russia. <laughs> Easy. Okay. <laughs> um, is interesting because you're a team within a team within a team. So onto the football field, 
you have a guy behind you waiting to take your position. But he's also going to do whatever it takes to, to, to get you ready for the game. But if his opportunity comes up, he's going to take advantage of that. I found that there was a lot more sensitivity around that in bobsleigh. Um, part of the reason is because you're on your, your individual team and then you're competing against other Canadian teams. Um, there wasn't as much of a what's best for the team is best for the team. There's definitely some individuality components to it. Um, and as crewman, I think it's – I always look back at my offensive line and the quarterback, and it's the reverse of that. I think the crewman's job is to be – to work as a unit as best as possible, no matter who is in that unit, to be your best for your pilot. And you can be pissed if you're not on a sled, but at the same point, your job is to do what's best for the team. Right. The problem is – Alternates don't get Olympic medals and world championship medals and backups. You do get Super Bowl rings. Mm -hmm. So there's that concern about missing the opportunity to, to, to be there and to be a part of the winning team. Um, but if you are a part of that winning team and when Justin won gold in two man and Alex was racing, you know, I would race with him all year long. Yeah. It was, they decided to go with Alex. It, it, Obviously, yeah, it, it hurt. Sure. But I'd still, I was part of that team. So it's, that was, you know, I can look back, I helped that team get on that podium. And every other, and, and Shay did too, and our, you know, and every other member of that team helped get those two guys on that podium. Um, you'll never be recognized for it, but it's... It's fact. That, it's, it's fact. Yeah. But if that's why you're doing it, then are you really doing it for the right reasons anyway? So it's um, it's interesting from that from that standpoint compared to football. So the bonds are still you can still create wonderful bonds and wonderful relationships, and I have been able to do so. Um, and it's just a little different in football. A great answer. Um, the whole idea of this podcast is to give Calgarians something to distract and to celebrate sport and our and the people in sport in our city. And one of the things we want to do is at the end of this, give people a little bit of laundry list of maybe some things to look for or do when it's all said and done. So give me, with no parameters, Jesse Lumsden's Hidden Calgary Gem. Hidden Cal one? One. Well, you can give me as many as you want, but the question is give me your Hidden Calgary Gem. Bonas Park is, I mean, now that I'm a dad too, is pretty awesome. And they did a wonderful job cleaning up after the floods. Mm -hmm. And you go down there and the kids can play. There's lots of green space. The bike path, you can run, you can bike. Uh, they, the, 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 the pond you can skate on in the wintertime. And then you can take the floaty pools out or the, the paddle boats out in the summertime. They got a little restaurant and a coffee shop down there. So that, And it's tucked away you know, in the northwest. So that's definitely, definitely one of the, the, the hidden gems for sure. Love it. I love it. Um, we're going to have to do part two. We did not talk about Man Tracker. We did not talk about your broadcasting career. We didn't touch on, I mean, the fact that you're a, a, a two-athlete family. There's so much, Jesse Lumsden, that we could have done with you. Uh, this was so much fun, my friend. Thank you, thank you, thank you from the bottom of my heart. I really enjoyed this conversation. Thanks, Jesse. Oh, thanks, Rob. Appreciate you having me, man. How much fun was Jess? Hey, how much fun was Jesse? I, I just, I could, you know, and again, we will. 
Well, uh, there's a good chance we're going to come back and, and, and tap back in there because there's so much more to talk about. Um, some pretty interesting football stories. I, I just love the one. I, I guess, uh, well, yeah, I needed to see the light of day. I love that story. Uh, but also, I just I love talking to him and, and asking him questions about the processes and, and about the decision-making and the honesty. There was a lot of honesty in there. So really appreciate that. Um, if you haven't heard this podcast before, if you're new to it, or even if you have heard them all, please tell a friend if you're enjoying it. The whole idea here, tell some stories about Calgary. Tell some stories about athletes and, and sports organizations and sports in Calgary. Basically, as we go through this uh, COVID-19 pandemic together, uh, give you something that will hopefully uh, distract you from the everyday um, hmm, troubles of the world. So thank you for joining us. It's an original six-week conversation podcast here at sportcalgary.ca.